It's the time of year when we're all thinking about goals and priorities. Now is the time to plan your next trip. Whatever kind of travel fills you up, whether it's lounging on the beach, connecting with family and friends, or going on a foreign adventure, Expedia has the tools you need to plan a great trip. Download the Expedia app or visit Expedia.com to start planning. You do need to be a OneKey member to use price tracking. Signing up is easy and free. Expedia, made to travel. We've all been there. You have a question about your credit card, you call the number for help, and can't get a hold of anyone. If you only had a Discover card. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right, a real person. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I'm Oprah Winfrey. Welcome to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. I believe that one of the most valuable gifts you can give yourself is time. Taking time to be more fully present. Your journey to become more inspired and connected to the deeper world around us starts right now. Lupita Nyong'o struck gold with her first ever feature film performance in the Academy Award winner for Best Picture, 12 Years a Slave. As the unforgettable Patsy, she was the first black African actress to ever win an Oscar. A string of hit movies followed, including the Star Wars trilogy, the $1.3 billion blockbuster Black Panther, and playing two leading roles in Jordan Peele's psychological thriller, Us. Vanity Fair just proclaimed Lupita one of the most powerful black women in film. Well, I have to say that it feels like you just got shot out of the moon. <laughs> Does it feel like your career just got shot out of the moon? It was like, I, I think people will maybe find this strange. This is the first time we've actually had a sit-down interview. Yeah. 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 And I remember we all saw you accept the Oscar. So since 12 Years a Slave, you're the first black African to win an Oscar, mm -hmm. number one and the first African to win an Oscar for your first movie. Yes. Yes. Okay, so since that night, which now was, what, five years ago? 2014. Five, 2014. Yeah, five, five years, yeah. yeah. Then there's Star Wars, mm -hmm. and Black Panther, mm -hmm. and then there's Us, mm -hmm. which scared the bejesus out of me. <laughs> uh, has your life now exceeded your own dreams? Oh, that's a good question. I definitely feel like I'm where I'm supposed to be. Yeah. However, it happened at a speed I could never have expected. And it happened with a fervor that was just discombobulating, you know? But I feel like the start was rushed, I would say, and I, it's taken some time to catch up with myself, to catch up with this kinesphere I find myself occupying. So in that moment, take us back to five and a half years ago, mm -hmm. where there's all of the commotion and excitement. I mean, literally, commotion, whatever that word you know, represents, yeah. and excitement around. I remember seeing you, and there was like, a, there were like teams of people, like working on your <laughs> hair, and somebody at your feet, and blah, blah. what did that feel like to it, you? Well, it was all very foreign. It was yes. all, it felt like I was in a, 
a dream state, you know, like I was there, but I was also observing myself. For, it was an out of body experience. But I remember my best friend said to me, make room for the abundance. And my mom always had this prayer, the prayer of Jabez, I think it mm -hmm, is. Mm -hmm. And it's about making room for abundance in your life. Yes. So uh, well, that was one of the things that I was meditating on in that time. Well, that is so wonderful to hear because, you know, I have experienced over the years talking to so many hundreds of people mm -hmm. that people don't make that room yeah. and they don't know how to receive it mm -hmm. and it blows them out. They cannot handle it. And I remember reading someplace where you said it felt like whiplash. Yeah. 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 And people can't handle the whiplash. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know, in school, in drama school, they would prepare us for the struggle of the world of an actor, you know, mm -hmm. that, you know, get ready. You're going to be waiting Re tables and rejected. You're going to be re rejected. Prepare to hear no and to remain sturdy yes. in the presence of no. But what they didn't do was prepare us to hear yes. And sometimes you can hear yes and it and reject it, mm -hmm. you know? And so uh, luckily for me, I had these people saying these things in my life. And so every day that was my meditation before I walked out the door. Just say yes, just say yes, accept it, accept what's coming. But what happens when they, I always want to ask you this, what happens when they say, and the Oscar goes to, <laughs> and then you hear your name. That moment between goes to and my name was an eternity. And in that moment, I had said my name so many times that I, I was like, no, maybe it's not, maybe it's someone else, maybe it's either, no. and it was so confusing in my mind. And then they said my name and I thought I'd said my name. <laughs> Oh boy. <laughs> and then and then my brother reacted and it was when my brother reacted that I knew that they had said my name. And uh, I just couldn't believe what had come from mm -hmm. this one one film. And I remember just feeling so grateful, you know, so grateful. And I, I think I said this in the speech, I was very aware that my, the joy in my life had come from so much pain mm. in the character that I had played, you know. And she was a real woman, you know. Yes. So, I definitely felt like I was a vessel to tell her story. And How long did it take before you could let her go? Oh, yeah. I thought I'd let her go once we'd finished the movie. I went through a lot of acupuncture and massage and, you know, all those things to try and let her go. But then, of course, I had to invite her back into my experience, my existence for the promotion of that mm -hmm. tour. And was she uh, a composite of... Well, all of those women, because in my house, there's in the main living room, there's a picture of a slave woman and her daughter. Mm -hmm. and, and I have that there as the grounding space for my entire home. But she represents, that picture represents all of the women, not just that woman, you know? Yeah. And during the promotion of the, of the film, a lot of people would come and just cry in my presence and hug me. So I was receiving a lot of energy of just people's grief, their guilt, their shame, mm -hmm. you know, both black and white. And so I was very much occupying her spirit and, um, you know, and I, I definitely felt in the presence of the past. You know what's so incredible? I remember your strength and your defiance. I remember reading an article in Vogue a couple of years ago where you said, I, I know this wasn't made for me, but I'm not going to apologize for being here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How did you come 
to know that so fully inside yourself. Because I know the industry wasn't made for me, but I'm yeah. not going to apologize for being here. I, you know, I think growing up in Kenya um, and being educated in many ways, the Euro way. I went to Kenyan system school for the first six years of my life, but then I went to a British system school. And we were always learning about the rest of the world. And very little time was spent learning about ourselves. So when I moved to the US, I always just had the mentality that the world that I occupy was not necessarily meant for me, but I'm here, you know? And I have to do something with it. And so I always took my education, despite it being foreign, perhaps to my own experience, as a way to almost like make room for myself by understanding the mm -hmm. rest of the world. So that non-apology, did that come because you were moved around, had seen so many different places in the world because of your father's political yeah. activism? And so you could make yourself comfortable no matter where you were. Yeah, yeah. yeah. My parents, yeah, raised us to make home out of anywhere we landed. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and that's what they did when we moved to Mexico. They learned the language and you know we found room for ourselves. We made room for ourselves. So I think, yeah, I think that mentality comes from that. Uh, just before the Oscars, I remember sitting at the Essence Awards, the Black Women in Hollywood luncheon. Mm -hmm. That was just a couple of days before the Oscars, actually. Yes. And you spoke about the negative self-image. I remember everybody was like, I can't believe she's saying it out loud. She is speaking about colorism out loud. I received a letter from a girl, and I'd like to share just a small part of it with you. Dear Lupita, it reads, I think you're really lucky to be this black, but yet this successful in Hollywood overnight. I was just about to buy Densha's whitenicious cream to lighten my skin when you appeared on the world map and saved me. You talked about what it meant to grow up being a dark-skinned girl, praying every night, not even looking in the mirror until you woke up because you wanted to see that you would change colors. What did it feel like to say those words out loud in public that way? I assume that was the first time you had acknowledged it in such a public way. A hundred percent. It felt scary and liberating because I was speaking about it from a place where I felt I had overcome the burden of mm. feeling undervalued and unattractive. And here I was on a stage that a magazine had put me on and they Not were, just a magazine, the Essence Black Women. Exactly. In Hollywood. Exactly, yes, had luncheon. put me on in a room full of women that I knew would get it. And so it was, for me, it was the only place to speak about this issue. Of course, in my speech, I mentioned you, yes, not you thinking that you would be in the room, <laughs> to be very honest. But, you know, in many ways, I'd, I'd learned to understand colorism through watching the, the Oprah show and you speaking about Alec Weck and calling her beautiful. And at the time, it was so confusing to me. So I knew that everyone else in that room would have been familiar with this issue. Not only calling her beautiful, it. I remember that moment when she was on with Andre Leontali, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I remember that moment when I, I saw her, because I'd seen her in magazines just like you had, and her skin was so beautiful and black and glowing. And I remember feeling, and I think I said something like, 
if I'd had this growing up, I would have had a very different view of myself mm -hmm. as a black girl growing mm -hmm. up. Yeah, yeah. and mm -hmm. there I was watching that, and it was changing my view of myself. And it was such a powerful moment. And at the time, nobody ever called in my world. Like, that was never thought of as beautiful. And here you were, somebody that my entire family looked up to. My mother wouldn't let us watch much TV, but she let us watch Oprah. So, you know, <laughs> this was something that we could agree on. And here you were giving her that stamp of approval. And I think beauty only exists when we perceive it. And in that moment, you perceived her as beautiful. And it gave me a chance to see that possibility in myself. And so the essence for me was that that speech was me publicly reclaiming my right to be considered beautiful, mm. you know. And then that same year, right after that declaration and proclamation, that same year you are named People's Most Beautiful. Yeah. Lancome Paris's first black brand ambassador. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just love it. Oh, that, that, <laughs> I just love it. And, and you get the prime spot on the magazines. When you open it up, you're right there. Yeah. Even before you, the, there's the, the table of contents and all of my, you've got the prime spot in the magazine. And Lancome Paris says, we want you as our ambassador. And then I was so surprised to read recently, I think you told the Hollywood Reporter that there's a part of you that still struggles with being unattractive. Well, it's that I reckon th there's a part of me that will always identify with being unattractive because I spent the first few years, my formative years, not seeing myself as beautiful. But I don't think of it as being a burden. I think there's a duality in all of us and we find balance when we're able to identify with both sides of ourselves. So as much as I, I love, first of all, I've spent, when I think about it, I've spent more time on this earth being considered beautiful than I have being considered not. And I love it. I wouldn't trade it for the world. But I also feel that having a time when I didn't find myself beautiful or the world didn't see me as beautiful allowed me to develop other parts of myself that I think is way more meaningful. And that's the beauty that we cultivate. It's the mm. beauty in action. You know, the beauty that is born out of love and the labor of love. So I, I hold that part close to me because it gives me the balance that I I so need. understand that because when you are a dark girl, and the rest of the world doesn't consider you to be beautiful. I, I feel like what you said just affirmed what I thought growing up too. Mm. You have to develop other parts of yourself. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was like, you're not beautiful, so you better be smart. Yeah. You better focus on your ability to communicate or mm -hmm. talk or whatever. So it gives you strength in other places. Yes, yes, yes. yes. And that in itself then makes you participate in beauty in a different way. Lupita Nyong'o is redefining what it means to be beautiful for women everywhere. Hollywood calls it the Lupita effect. Her daring fashion choices, fresh point of view, and unapologetic spirit have made her a modern beauty icon. But that wasn't always the case. As Lupita described at the Essence Women in Hollywood luncheon in a speech that went viral. I remember a time when I too felt unbeautiful. I put on the TV and only saw pale skin. I got teased and taunted about my night-shaded skin. And my one prayer to God, the miracle worker, was that I would wake up lighter-skinned. The response to that speech inspired Lapita to write a children's book based on her own experiences as a child. 
Sulawe tells the story of a young, dark-skinned girl struggling to embrace and discover her beauty. And so that view of beauty actually brought you to this. Yes. Sulawe. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's my baby girl. <laughs> I wanted to write a children's book partly because people encouraged me after making that speech to make it into a children's book. But I thought, you know, making that speech into a children's book wasn't going to be much fun. And so back in 2016, I, it dawned on me why and how to write a children's book. Though the subject of, of colorism is heavy, I wanted to create a story that was whimsical and enjoyable for a child so that they could love it when they were younger and understand it later. Yes. You know? And, that's and the prayer, the what I love so much is the prayer inside. Would you read for, for the prayer, that you, which was the prayer you would say to yourself every night or yes. a form of it? Yes. Yeah. Dear Lord, why do I look like midnight when my mother looks like dawn? Please make me as fair as the parents I'm from. I want to be beautiful, not just to pretend. Mm. I want to have daylight. I want to have friends. If you hear me, my Lord, and would like to comply, may I wake up as bright as the sun in the sky. Amen. Mm. Ah. <laughs> that is a part of the prayer, of your own prayer. There you go. There is yes. a part of your own prayer that you pray. Mm-hmm. For sure. Mm -hmm. Were you also using like skin lightening creams or wanted skin lightening creams? Wanted your mother to get you skin lightening creams? <laughs> you know, I came from a very intact family. And really, when I started to feel like, hey, hang on, maybe I'm not so pretty, was when my younger sister was born. She was really light skinned. And all of a sudden, all my, the cooing and cawing from my aunties and, and uncles were like, oh, she's so brown, she's so light, she's gonna be so beautiful, she's gonna wow. confuse all the men. And I started to think, oh my goodness, wait a minute. That was something that I didn't get much of. And so that's when my insecurity with how I looked started. But the thing about my family was that we were all pretty dark. That's uh, the difference between mm. me and Sulawe. We were all very dark and nobody altered their skin. So this was something that was being said, I think it was just the unconscious, subconscious bias, you know, of yes. preferring lighter skin and considering lighter skin to be more attractive. And so I honestly didn't have access to skin lightening creams and I certainly didn't know about them because my mm -hmm. family didn't use them. But had that been different, I may have tried that. And I'm grateful, obviously, that uh, I never went down that path, but I empathize, of course, with people who find themselves doing that. Don't go anywhere. More to come after this short break. No two travelers are exactly alike, and that means no two trips should be either. Texas' vast landscape of cultures, regions, destinations, and activities allow for an infinite number of different travel experiences. Are you a beach person? Well, you'll be having fun under the sun with Texas 350 miles of coastline. If you're more of a rugged vacation type, there are campgrounds, hiking trails, and state parks galore. And foodies can't get enough of Texas world-famous barbecue and Tex-Mex. Enjoy live music, visit internationally recognized art museums, and check out thrilling cowboy experiences. And now, Travel Texas offers a one-of-a-kind online trip builder that allows users to generate a custom, Visually led trip matched to their unique interests. Visit TravelTexas.com slash get your own to get the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. That's TravelTexas.com slash get your own.
Macy's Mother's Day gift guide has the perfect gift to make mom feel special. Shop by price, like 25 and under to 100 and under. Category, like fragrance, handbags, and more. Or gift lists, like for the mom who has everything. Gifts that are already wrapped and ready to be gifted and for grandma. Get top gifts like Dolce & Gabbana Devotion, Eau de Parfum, Coach Floral Printed Leather Cassie Crossbody Bag, and Le Creuset Shallot Dutch Oven. Shop at Macy's.com slash The next generation of influential Black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of Blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. From Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black stories, Black truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get podcasts. Did you write Chulwey as a kind of love letter to your younger self? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, it was a love letter to my younger self. It was a way for me to put my pain to good use and also to offer it up for younger kids today so that they don't have to go through that pain necessarily. And when they do, they have like a backup, you know, like a deposit of self-worth that they can. So when you heard everybody on. singing Brown Skin Girl this, oh my goodness. this, this summer. <laughs> I was overjoyed. I was titillated, uh, you know. <laughs> and then to get a little mention in there as well. I mean, uh, it was, you know, the fact that they did that, that Beyonce put out that song. It was, you know, we need that. We yes. need that encouragement. We need that. We need this. Mm -hmm. We need you. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So what is your hope for the Sulways of the world? And as you're thinking about that answer, mm -hmm. I would say, I want to just add that Toni Morrison, when I first interviewed her about The Bluest Eye, mm -hmm. said she wrote that book because she wanted to read a book like that and understood the world needed a book like that, and there, mm -hmm. there wasn't such a book that existed. Mm -hmm. So now you have written this mm -hmm. as a hope for the world, yeah. little girls like Solway, who mm -hmm. are like yourself, a love letter to yourself. My hope for Solway is that little girls like her, and boys, may know that they have the answer within them. One of the things I wanted for this story was for Sulwe to have the agency in herself, for her to liberate herself. She has a mother that is very supportive and offers her words of advice, but it's not until the imaginative journey on the star that right. she finds the answer. And right. for me, that's her finding it for herself. And that's what I want little girls to know. Another important thing for me writing this book was that I didn't downplay how hard it is when the world doesn't offer you a right, right to, the, to the term beautiful. But it is so important that amidst that, you are able to bestow it on yourself, first and foremost, because then you can bolster yourself up to ch challenge the world that you live in. Do you think there's still colorism in Hollywood? Ha. Huh. Uh -huh. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Huh. Yes. Yeah. Recently, I mean, 
And, and it's just a mis... It's, there's definitely still a misunderstanding of dark skin. I recently had a makeup artist say to me, oh, well, you know, your skin can take anything. It's so tough. And I was... My, I have very sensitive skin, <laughs> you know, but there's this... It's yeah. just misunderstood. Yes. Um, and so that definitely then plays itself in so many different ways. Yeah, he's mistaking melanin for steel. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and it is not, it actually, is not. you yes. know. The more dark-skinned women that are, are present and working, the better, you know. And I think it's about there being a change in the demographic behind the camera as well. Absolutely. You know? And that's how then things will truly change. Speaking of demographic, can we talk about Black Panther for a moment, mm -hmm. which was so much more than a movie. It actually altered the film image of black people around the world for the world to see. Mm -hmm. It changed that whole adage that pe the black films didn't sell overseas. Mm -hmm. What did it do for you to be in that movie? That movie was one of the reasons why I ended up writing Sulwe when I did. I decided to write Sulwe after shooting Black Panther. Really? And it was because in Black Panther, what we were doing was tackling some very serious issues, you know, what with colonialism and the, the, the legacy of slavery and the relationship between Africa and African America and all these things. But we were doing so in an imaginative and aspirational light in a world that was full of magic, potential, and swag. And for me, that opened up how to tackle the subject of colorism in a way that didn't uh, burden the child that would read it. So really, Black Panther helped me celebrate myself, mm. you know, in, in a way that, yeah, I just I will forever be indebted to that project for. And has work begun on part two? Oh, yes, the work right now on part two is uh, happening in the back rooms, and I know nothing about <laughs> it. <laughs> But I know it's happening. They've announced the dates for it, at least, yes. coming out. So yeah, I it's, it's, yeah. it's not until 2022. That's or a something. long yeah, way. It's a long That's a long time. way. Yeah. So I have to ask you about Harvey Weinstein. In 2017, in the wake of the sexual abuse allegations against Harvey Weinstein, Lupita Nyong'o wrote an explosive New York Times op-ed. Lupita says she endured sexual harassment from the formerly powerful Hollywood producer while still a grad student and a young actress. What actually compelled you to come forward? Was it frightening or empowering for you to do so? I decided to write about it because I couldn't sleep. When all the news was coming out, it was at a time that I could not have expected it, right? The first article came mm -hmm. out, and then there was someone else and someone else. And I think there had been four or five yes. different ones before I spoke up. Oh, things that I had suppressed, that whole thing, I had suppressed it. And it was just bubbling to the surface. And I found myself enraged because I'd experienced this thing in isolation. And I didn't know how rampant it was. I thought it was you just me. You thought you were the only one. Yeah, I thought it was just me. And like many victims, you blame yourself. And here I was learning that it was happening over and over again and in such uncanny ways. Like, I, I could identify. But you know, I so identified with you because you'd gone to the house, mm -hmm. if I remember the story correctly, mm -hmm. you'd gone to the house and the children were there. Mm -hmm. So if the children are there, you're thinking, oh, this yeah. is wonderful. Blah, blah, blah. You let down your guard. You let down your guard. Mm -hmm. And then you're invited upstairs, mm -hmm. but the children are there, so mm -hmm. you're thinking it's perfectly fine. And yeah. then you find yourself in the room. And yeah. tell us what happened, if you don't mind. 
Uh, well, he asked me uh, for a massage, and he wanted to massage me. And I quickly thought, and I thought, well, no, no, why don't I offer you a massage, <laughs> you know, uh -huh. uh, was how I, I got out of that. To try to cope. Yeah, yeah. just, you know, because I couldn't, I couldn't control if he was massaging me, but if I massaged him, then I would be a little bit more in control, and I could figure out my exit strategy. All the while, I know your brain is going, how, how did this happen? How did it happen? Yeah, 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 yeah. And, you know, because it, I had been around the house already, the kids, with the kids and stuff like that, so... And then all of a sudden, it took on a totally different meaning in this moment. Eventually, I managed to say, look, I just, I, I really just want to go home. And it was, he was very coercive and, and stuff like that. And, but eventually, he let me, let me leave. So you're figuring but, out, how do I get out of this room? Yeah, but it, and I'm also trying to organize my thoughts, because it's like, how do I feel about this? And how did I get myself in this situation? And why did I come here? And, you know? And, it's just you're trying to negotiate what's going on and mm -hmm. it's a in a it's a situation where you have you've bestowed trust on this person in yes. in the moment you know and he's introduced you to the family so you feel that there is a level of trust and understanding and then there's a complete breach of it and it takes time to Get for your that brain to focus. even figure out what is happening exactly. here. Exactly. Yeah. What is happening and That's how That's what I got I when I was reading it. your piece. Yeah. yeah. And also I think also in a culture where women ashamed twice. First in the situation of the abuse or molestation and then again mm -hmm. when you speak up about it. And I think that's what that moment was when everybody was speaking up where I realized this is not the shame is not mine to hold. You know, mm. the guilt isn't mine to hold. And so I wanted to speak up about it, to free myself of the guilt and to continue this circle of women that was holding hands virtually mm -hmm. by speaking up. Well, the reason why I so understood it, you know, Malcolm Gladwell has now written this fascinating book called Talking to Strangers, mm -hmm. and he speaks in it about us defaulting to truth. Yeah. So everything you've ever heard about Harvey Weinstein is that he is helpful, he does these wonderful things for people's careers, mm -hmm. and so that level of trust you would default to, especially with the children there. Yeah, yeah. yes, exactly. Yeah. And then that's immediately taken away. And yeah, and then you have to find ways to live with it, live with yourself, and yeah, and you have to reorganize what you understand the world. So the reason you did the op-ed piece is because, and I think this is so valuable to everyone who's listening, is that you recognize that the shame of it was not yours to hold. Yes. The fact that you'd gotten yourself in that situation in trust mm -hmm. with him mm -hmm. was not yours to hold. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you helped a lot of people by doing that. Thank you. Thank a lot of people by so. doing that. I hope so. I wanted to ask too, have there been times where you thought there were things that were insurmountable mm. and you were able to overcome it and now look back and say, why was I thinking that way? Hmm. Insurmountable. A better way to phrase it is what was your greatest fear that you were able to overcome well, and thought I, you wouldn't? Hmm. I think... One of my greatest fears was following what I felt was my dream, which is to be an actor. Mm -hmm. Because I just came from a world that had nothing to do with that. You know, there were no actors in my life that were making a living. There was activism. There was activism for <laughs> yeah. sure. Yeah. But there was, so just being able to... And a foreign concept. Yeah, 
totally foreign. In your culture, yes. I'm sure. Yes. Because you you didn't grow up like I did, but my father, I remember when I first said I wanted to be an actress, he was like, no daughter of mine's going to be an actress because how are you going to make money? and You're going to be sleeping on somebody's couch. and Yeah. Yeah. It was just not a practical thing to want to do. Yes. And uh, I lived so far away from this industry and like it was just totally an insane dream to have. Yeah. But my parents had always, always been very supportive of whatever we want to do. My dad would say, if you want to be a janitor, do it, but be the best janitor there is. I don't care what you do. And so I was raised with that kind of thing, but it was still in a society that kind of frowned upon the idea of people like making believe for a living. So the hardest thing for me was to, to come to terms with the fact that that was the only thing I really wanted to try and do. And when I, when I remember feeling really, really depressed and even conf and very conflicted about it. And then I uttered it to my mom and she said, I've known that your entire life. And that just How like, were you when you me. uttered it to your mom? I was 20, 25. Wow. Yeah. So it had been a while and I had been acting and everything, but I just never admitted that that's what I wanted to do. Nothing. But I wanted to act. That now has become something more than that. I was talking to my mom again and she, I was telling her about a frustration I was having on a job, an acting job, with a script and uh, with a story that I just didn't feel was there yet. And she said to me, your job isn't to act, your job is to change the narrative. And that Whoa, has mom. just like, yeah, it's Whoa. opened a whole new world for me. And I think in many ways now is, is my next step, the next part of my, my journey. I feel I'm in very much in a transformational point right now where I'm recognizing how that includes things like yes. Sulu yeah, and the Harvey Weinstein piece and everything like that. that well, it it's interesting because that. you seem to be one of those actors who is clearly woke and interested in using your art for something bigger than yourself. Mm -hmm. So therefore your choices and therefore your desire to produce work comes from that. Mm -hmm. It really does. And that's where I feel most useful and most on purpose when I can be a part of something that changes the narrative and creates room for a human experience that would otherwise be on the sidelines, you mm -hmm. know? Yeah. I'd like to know, what's your real life like? <laughs> like, I just was looking at you on the cover of Vanity Fair and this is like fantasy world and you get to wear all these beautiful clothes. Yeah, it's so much fun. It's so much fun. It is a lot of fun to do that and then it's fun to leave it, to yeah. leave it alone and go back to my regular life. I really like to be low key. I love, I love living in New York. I love how lives collide in New York. I love taking the subway, I, you know. On I, a Saturday night, would you rather be at a big party, a small dinner party, or home in your PJs? At home in my PJs with my friends having a pajama party. Really? <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's definitely my vibe. I much prefer that. Yeah. Yeah. We see you in so many beautiful things. Mm -hmm. Do you like the idea of going shopping? No, or? I hate it. You hate it? I hate shopping. So you don't even have to shop anymore, right? People just bring you stuff. Yeah, and for the last six years, I've been basically just living off of handouts. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> and recently I went on my first shopping trip. I was in London and I went on my first shopping spree, if you will, over the weekend and to buy. To buy. I needed I needed basics because the thing about people giving you things for free is that it's the most flashy always. It's yeah. not practical right, stuff. Right. And I realized I don't have white t shirts. I need white t shirts and I need like jeans and yeah. like well, now you're gonna you get know. those. <laughs> A lot of white t-shirts, <laughs> I know. But yeah, so I just went for basics, and but I also would did this, uh, you know, the the whole only holding on to things that bring you joy. So I had I got a, rid of a whole lot of my stuff, so that I can now curate my wardrobe because I want to wear things that bring me joy. I want to love everything, and I love to I hold on to things and I wear them until they're shredded. But really? I love them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And so when you go shopping, do people like freak out that it's you? I keep it a low profile when I go profile. shopping. Yeah, yeah I, I, I've learned the art of disappearing into the background. Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you can do that. Yeah, I get away with it. Yeah. yeah. Have you learned the art of keeping your private life private? So far, so good, mm -hmm. yes. I, there's nothing out there that I, <laughs> I know of that I don't want to be known of. Uh -huh. um, yeah, I like to keep that part of myself to myself because then it, it, it gives me, I don't know, it's, it's nice to feel that there's parts of myself that... Because people are always speculating about who you are dating or who you're not dating, who I you're know. seeing and who you're not seeing. And you know, I, would, I, I said this, I think, to Beyonce years ago. Mm -hmm. Oh yes, this is before she, we even knew about her and Jay-Z, mm -hmm. that you need to Whatever it is, keep it to yourself for as long as you can. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because it becomes a part of your your story in a way that then, especially now, you can't erase. Yeah. You know, if things don't work out, then yeah. you're stuck with... I know, know, and I cannot tell you how many times I had major celebrities on the Oprah show talking about how in love they were, and by the time the whatever film or whatever came out, they were no longer with the person. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. hard that, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I, I, that's why I don't ask people about their mm, private lives. Mm. Because I regret early on actually talking about Stedman. Mm. You know, because you're bringing somebody into it who didn't ask to be in it. Yeah. You know? yeah, and also then it's also hard when to then know what's true and what's not between yes. you and the person. Yeah, absolutely. You know, because of how people are perceiving you as opposed to how you're perceiving each other. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank. Some things should be boring, like banking. Boring is safe and reliable. You don't want your bank to be entertaining. Entertaining is for podcasts with inspiring celebrity guests, not banks. PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly boring since 1865 is the service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Inc. PNC Bank, National Association, member FDIC. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Mm -hmm. Would you say you're happy most of the time or, are you, or is there a low-level joy? Wow, what's a low-level joy? <laughs> I mean, there's always like low-level joy, just sort of humming in the background. Mm. There's some people who like her, hi, I'm, I'm so happy. And then there's just like a low-level 
come yeah. and enjoy. You know, I, I did a silent retreat last year. Oh yes, I wanted to ask you about that. Yeah, 10 day silent retreat. And I did it right after the just the whirlwind that was the Black Panther award season tour and everything. And I wanted to just quiet down because I've just felt like on edge, you know, when yes. you've been going everywhere and doing everything, you just feel, oh God. Yes, so I, just... I read that and I had such respect for you for doing that. Oh yes. yeah, thank mm -hmm. you. So I wanted to you talk less and listen more. And so I did this 10 day retreat and what I found was that when you are silent for that long, meditating about 10 hours every day, I was able to recognize the enemy of my own self-talk in ways that I thought I had addressed and was continually addressing, but it was way more vicious than, than I, I knew, the self-talk. Mm -hmm. And I had to face it for 10 days. There was no running away from it. And what I realized was that you can experience more joy when you don't crave pleasure and when you don't resist aversions, right? That if you allow for change to do what it does and just happen to you, then joy is way more easily experienced. So for me right now, that's what I'm exercising. Uh, the idea that happiness will come and go and sadness will come and go, but you can find balance in accepting things as they come. I actually read this quote where you said, joy is not the absence of pain, but happiness in spite of it. Yeah. I had to read it three times. <laughs> good, good. Joy is not, uh-huh. I go, deep, that is deep, Lapita, that is deep. Yeah, that's something that Khalil Gibran said actually. Okay. Yeah. Deep, Khalil. He's, yeah, he's yeah, very he's deep. deep. Yeah. Uh, you know, thanks, Khalil. He said some amazing things. But yes, exactly. That you can be going through a hard time and still experience moments of, of happiness because you commit in the present moment, you know? So you can be having incredible pain, but you can see a beautiful blue sky and, and appreciate it despite the, the physical pain you might be in. So what is a source of pain for you and what is a source of joy? I want to know. Oh, that's a good question. You're mm. good. Oh my mm. God. Um, what is a source of pain? Injustice is a source mm -hmm. of pain for mm -hmm. me. I suffer that a lot, you know? Sometimes it becomes hard to, to watch the news, read the news, that kind of thing, and to feel helpless, yeah. you know, when things are going on around you that, and you don't know what, how to contribute to alleviating that pain. It becomes very personal. I also find it painful to be in positions where I don't know my purpose. And when I don't have a finger on what clarity, my- Clarity, what, Yes, thank clarity. you. Clarity, that mm -hmm. can be quite painful. Um, painful. And sources of joy, my family. Mm -hmm. I have a niece that is just like the apple of my eye right Old. now. She's two. And so my family brings me great joy. When I'm able to show up for my family and friends, that brings me great joy. And show up meaning what? You know, you? like if someone is getting married or, you know, having a baby or, you know, just needs to talk. My favorite thing is when someone calls me and says, I need to talk to you and I can make the time for them. And oftentimes, you know, when my, my life changed so abruptly, a lot of my friends would say, I didn't know if I could call you, right. you know, because you're so busy. Because the perception is... Is that I'm not available. And so I it's stopped... it's taken a long time to get that Vanity Fair cover. <laughs> yes. 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 You know, that you're yeah. just busy. Yeah, you're, you're busy. We see you in that... So or, I, or I don't belong in your world anymore. Yes, That's really what I had that as well. And yeah. like, my, uh, there was a time when my friends stopped inviting me to things, you know, like, because mm -hmm. they just thought I wasn't available. And I said to them, look, 
it means a lot to me if you invite me, even if I can't come. The fact that you invite me makes me feel like I'm still a part of your life. And so that, when I'm able to show up for them in that way, it, it really touches me. I have to touch on us, even mm -hmm. though I couldn't see it. I couldn't. Really? I couldn't. <laughs> I could not. And then I read that you did all of this background looking at horror movies. I could not. I could not. I was afraid. Yeah. It would get inside of me, mm -hmm. and I couldn't get it mm -hmm. out. Mm -hmm. and, you know, because I'm a very sensitive person. I understand. And you are a very sensitive person. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering how you got that in and out. Yeah. Like I was a little worried about you. Yeah. <laughs> As you should. No, because been. I only saw the trailers, and I just thought, <laughs> Jesus knows I won't be able to do it. I won't be able to be in the house by myself again. Even though I have security, I, I won't. It will just get inside me, and, yeah. I, and I can't get it out. Yeah, you know, and I, I can't even I can't even argue with you on that because it is psychological. The, yes. The thrill of the movie is quite psychological. You know, but I think for me what I love about my job is that it allows me to explore parts of myself that are otherwise not cool to explore or that I otherwise don't have permission to yeah. explore. And with us, you know, it allowed me to, to really explore rage. Yeah. And as a child, I felt a lot of rage. Really? And yeah. Was it because of the colorism thing? There was that, but also just I was hyper emotional and a lot of the times I would get told, don't be so emotional, don't be so emotional, relax, relax, yeah, don't yeah, take yeah. it so seriously. And that, for me, it, it, it translated into... Repressing I, that. Yeah, re repressing it that I'm not right, I'm yeah, not okay, there's no that. room for me in this world. So I did a lot of suppressing when I was little and so Acting is catharsis for me because here is two roles and Jordan Peele is saying, we need your rage. Here's your rage yeah. going to good use. You know, I could use that. So I'm so proud and impressed by Jordan because he's always holding up mirrors to ourself. Mm -hmm. And listen, it's the first time in preparation for any interview that I have not done the thorough homework. And the producer was saying, you have to watch it, watch it. I go, I, <laughs> I'm gonna have to talk to Lupita and just tell her the truth, <laughs> I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it, I couldn't do it. Well, yeah, that's fine, that's absolutely fine. But do you think you completely released it? I mean, I, I just think letting the dark in is, is tough. Yeah. So the, is, is that when you went to the retreat after that? No, that was after Black Panther. After no, Black Panther. After, after this, I went to the Grand Canyon. Okay. After, after us, I went and I just sat, I looked at that body and it was just dwarfing in a way that I needed. The thing about doing us, I had to play two roles. Yeah. I was too tired to be haunted because I, I had to play both sides of, of the argument, both sides of the, yeah. you know, of the thing. And so I was just honestly too tired. Because I believe in that, you know, I believe yeah. there are other sides. Yeah, that's why yeah, 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 yeah. That's why I know. And it was so cool. It was really, really helpful to have because one character would be the antidote to the other. So you didn't scare yourself, that's what I'm asking. <laughs> no, I didn't. Although I, I was very afraid of my reflection. As I, you know, sometimes yeah. I lived in a house with a lot of mirrors and like I would come upon myself and give myself like GBs. <laughs> that happened. But internally I was actually quite okay. But one of the things I do in order to go to dark places, because like for 12 years I had to go to go a dark, to dark place, place, as well as for us in very different ways, is I have to find the light within the darkness. You oh. know, I ha and that's the thing about the duality of it. Being able to identify the light for me allows me to delve into the darkness. Wow. And those characters definitely had light. I want to know, okay, final question. When is the last time you were filled with awe? 
Wow. The last time I was filled with awe. I mean, I think it's my niece. Mm. I mean, I watch her do simple things and I marvel because she's my sister's daughter and she looks just like her. And she's so intelligent in this baby way. Mm -hmm. And I just, um, I, it's so fascinating to see how human beings are born who they are. Like when she was two months, she, she had a personality and she's just becoming more of herself as she grows yeah. older, you know? And Which is that what we is all marvelous. are doing, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Somebody yeah. said that to me after I had done an interview in like the 90s and then I ran into that person 15 years later and they said to me, you know what, I interviewed you, I didn't even remember the person. She said, I interviewed you years ago and sitting with you now, you've just become more of yourself, which I consider one of the great compliments mm -hmm. of the world mm -hmm. is that you become more of yourself because that's what we all are supposed to be doing. Yeah, and there's this quote I read and I don't remember who said it, but he said, um, put into the world what without you may never exist. Ooh. And that's, that's a good one. Right. And that's what it is. When you become more of yourself, you're becoming more of what the world needs. Yeah. So final, final question. Okay. <laughs> Putting into the world what needs to exist. I believe that every human being comes to have the truest expression of themselves mm -hmm. as a human being. Mm -hmm. That is why we're all here. Mm -hmm. When you have clarity about that, what is the thing that you have come to express in the fullness of your humanity. What is the thing that I have come to express in the fullness of my humanity? That is a very good question. What have I come to express in the fullness of my humanity? I think for me, identifying with beauty as active, as an action that you can invest. There's a quota of beauty that you can, you can invest in and contribute to is really important to me. Um, and I feel... And that's beauty in all forms? Beauty in all forms, not just the aesthetic, but the, the spiritual. Yeah. Um, to glimpse beauty is to experience the divine, right? And there's that potential in all of us. Beauty is very much a part of our nature if we allow it, right? And so for me, when I'm able to express that um, and kind of contribute to that, I feel most useful and I feel most like myself. And becoming more of yourself. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. You can follow Super Soul on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Super Soul conversation. Thank you for listening. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen. Remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. <laughs> well. Ooh, yeah. That happens. So start clean with Clorox. 
Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.